Welcome to the Israel Daily News Podcast. I'm your host, Shanna Fold, and I'm here to get you caught up quickly. I've got some top news stories for you today from Israel, and guess what? You're listening, so you're already on top of your game. Survive and thrive, people. Knowledge is the best weapon. Today is Wednesday, April 20th, 2023 in the Gregorian calendar and the 29th of Nisan, 5783 in the Hebrew calendar. At the end of today's show, I'll have a report for you about my time in Auschwitz-Birkenau reporting on the March of the Living for Holocaust Remembrance Day. Now, let's get to the news. The Israeli police will be increasing their presence at Memorial Day events, but have been told to keep a low profile and to keep an eye on any potential clashes between bereaved families and coalition politicians and protesters. The move comes amid concerns that tensions could rise due to the atmosphere around proposed judicial reforms, though protest organizers say they are not planning to demonstrate at the ceremonies. Authorities say they hope to have a heightened police presence, but also respect the solemn nature of the Memorial Day events. Yom Hazikaron, or Israel's Memorial Day, begins on the evening of Monday, April 24th, and goes until the evening of Tuesday, April 25th, in which Israel Independence Day begins immediately at sundown. Israel is set to conduct a missile warning system test in Kiev, Ukraine, next month, according to recent reports. The test is expected to include the launch of a missile and sounding air raid sirens across the city. The system is designed to provide an early warning to the public and the military about incoming missiles, but it does not offer an interception method. Analysts say this is an effort not to upset Russia, for which Israel is maintaining diplomatic ties with. Israel has been using its own missile warning system called the Iron Dome for many years and has undergone several upgrades and improvements. The Iron Dome also has an interception part in addition to having a siren part. The test has already been coordinated with the Ukrainian government. Charges have been dropped against Israelis who entered the evacuated West Bank outpost of Homesh. Homesh is one of four outposts that were dropped during the disengagement of Gaza in 2005. The disengagement law, as it is called now, allows Israelis to enter the post with a recent amendment to that law. The decision was made after the law to prosecute Israeli settlers who entered West Bank outpost was amended. At the time, they were charged with trespassing and disrupting public order. Under the old law, anyone who entered a closed military zone without permission could be charged with trespassing. The amendment also allows for the reestablishment of outposts in the area since it allows Israelis to own land in the previously evacuated sites. Haaretz reports, and I quote, The move paves the way for settlers to either attempt to buy privately owned Palestinian plots or to push the Israeli government to allocate state-owned land in the area to them, end quote. The report also says there is a petition out in Israel's High Court of Justice which seeks to again evacuate the Homesh outpost once more. 
In January, a right-wing government came in and it changed the status of that place. Even with the new law, the land itself is privately owned by Palestinians and so construction would still remain illegal. Thank you to all of you for your interest in Israeli affairs, Israeli politics, our world politics, and thank you to all of you who personally finance and fund the Israel Daily News podcast by making monthly contributions. I would not be able to do this financially, emotionally, without your support. The news, it's not an easy biz and so all of your messages of support just help me on a daily basis if you would like to make a contribution yourself check out the link in the show notes which you can click on and that'll take you to the page where you too can make a contribution and feel good knowing that you're supporting independent journalism so check that out at anchor.fm slash israel daily news you can also support us by leaving us a review on apple podcasts two you can share the show with a friend and three you can follow us on facebook at israel daily news as well as shanifold my name has two n's in it and i'm very sensitive about that. You can also find us on Twitter at Israel Podcast. Coming up this week, thousands of American Jewish leaders are coming to Israel for the Jewish Federation of North America, which kicks off its annual General Assembly, which is being held in Israel this year. The event begins Sunday and coincides with Israel's Memorial and Independence Days. As the event continues on into the week, it will focus on celebrating 75 years of partnership between North American Jewry and the Jewish state. President Isaac Herzog and Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu are both set to speak. Israel's Foreign Minister Eli Cohen went to Turkmenistan Wednesday night. It's the first Israeli diplomatic trip to the country in 29 years since the two established ties in the 1990s. The country is located 17 kilometers or about 10 miles from the border of Iran. You know that I always keep it real and honest here on the Israel Daily News podcast. So before I hit you with the facts, let me tell you a bit about my personal experience covering Holocaust Remembrance Day in Poland. I was invited to cover the March of the Living this year for the Jerusalem Post newspaper. I'm a contributor and a freelance correspondent for the Post. I have been for about four years now. Sunday night, I took a flight and got into the hotel in Poland with the rest of the best journalists from around the nation. Every major channel and newspaper in Israel were invited to cover. There were also a number of influencers in the delegation who had been invited by the March of the Living organizers to use their big followings on Instagram as a means to come and cover the event. Now, I put cover... In air quotes, when I say come and cover the event, because it's not the same thing as true journalism and news coverage, but I need to say cover the march because that's the best word that I have for it. Although I do think that there should be a distinction between journalists who cover events and social media influencers who don't have a journalistic background who cover events. The event happens every year and is meant to be a tribute to all the victims of the Holocaust. On day one, we had an optional tour of Auschwitz. I had been there a few years ago, but I went and I learned new things. I saw horrific photos. I listened to survivor testimonies and most harrowing, I saw the basement of a Nazi officer barrack, which is where some victims were made to sleep for people in a small pen standing up. 
that really got me. When I walked out of the room, I thought to myself, only animals sleep standing up, not humans. It made me sick. There was another fact that I learned this year that I never knew before. It really disturbed me. If you're familiar with the Holocaust, you'll know that many, many millions of people, six million Jews to be specific, died in the Holocaust. And many of them died due to being suffocated with a substance called Zyklon B. Zyklon B is a pesticide invented in Germany in the early 1920s and it kills people via suffocation and the Nazis were using that and they were dispersing it through gas chamber showers and that is how people died. One thing that I did not know about it is that it takes 90 minutes to suffocate from that pesticide. I thought that the point of the gas chambers was that it was quick. I was wrong. The people who died in the gas chambers, it took them 90 minutes on average. I had a hard time sleeping at night after I learned some of these facts. Some other takeaways that I had was that a lot of the young population, especially Gen Z, are getting all of their Holocaust education on TikTok. I think it's dangerous that young people are not reading books or getting a quality understanding about the worst genocide in history. Nevertheless, some advocates say it's better that they should learn something from social media than learn nothing at all. I wrote a whole article about social media and Holocaust education for the Jerusalem Post. So if you want to see it, you can just find it on my Facebook or my LinkedIn page or you can type in my name, Shanna Fold. Now that I've given you my thoughts, I'm going to give you a report with sound bites from some ambassadors, people who came to the march, and thankfully Holocaust survivors who joined the march to offer their testimony. It was the March of the Living Organization's 35th time hosting the event. The shofar, or a ram's horn, was blown by a number of people, and that was the sign that it was time to march. There were 42 survivors sitting in front of the infamous gate that says, Arbeit macht frei, or translated into English, work sets you free. The sign over the gate was placed there by Nazis as a sick, twisted salutation from Nazis to the innocent Jews, Poles, Gypsies, and prisoners of war who had been rounded up by the millions and forcibly brought to the camp in Poland. At Auschwitz-Birkenau, 1.3 million people were held hostage and forced to work during World War II. 1.1 million people were killed there. During the ceremony which took place after the march, a video played showing a survivor's recorded testimony. She said upon entering Auschwitz and seeing the sign, her father looked at it, read it, and simply told her family that everything would be okay and that they would just have to work for a short time and everyone would then get to go home. That was not the case. The March of the Living had about 13,000 people Tuesday. That included dozens of global delegations, young and old, dignitaries, Italy's president, international press, Patriot football team owner Robert Kraft, and American rapper Meek Mill. We're going to circle back to Meek Mill later. Those are just some of the names of people who showed up in solidarity Tuesday with the Jewish people. The walk was three kilometers between Auschwitz and Birkenau at around 2 p.m. And 
there was a good deal of sunshine. The day before, it rained all afternoon, and I reported in Auschwitz in the rain and the cold, so it was good to have sunshine, but the sun only came out for a couple of hours. In the ramp-up to the march itself, people of all ages gathered by the hundred on the campgrounds, all wearing the signature blue March of the Living rain jacket. Those jackets were given out to everyone who participated, so there was a look of unity. What was impressive for me were the delegations from all over the world. I took pictures and videos of people coming from Costa Rica, Colombia, Panama, Poland. The Polish army showed up, Germany, Mexico, the south of the United States, California, Canada, and even a delegation of people from Japan came to the march. And trust me, I've only named a handful of delegations. There were so much more. They all walked with signs and flags as they passed under the gate and headed out of Auschwitz I toward Auschwitz II, also known as Birkenau. English language announcements let people know that the march was minutes away from commencing, and organizers asked people not to sing, dance, or cheer because the event was meant to maintain a solemn feel. Now, I just want to say that did not stop one Israeli delegation as it left Auschwitz going to Birkenau. I thought it was ridiculous. I don't know if they missed the announcement, if they didn't understand the announcement because it was in English, or if they just plain ignored the rules because they busted through the gate singing Am Yisrael Chai, which means the people of Israel live. It's a chant. It's a cheer. They clapped, and I got it all on camera. I was pretty shocked because 10 minutes earlier, they were asked not to do that. But there was, of course, one Israeli delegation that did not follow the rules, and I took note of that. I have to admit that I listened to a bunch of young people around me as they walked on the march. I'm a journalist. I was walking on the march by myself. I couldn't help but overhear some of the conversations. I liked listening to the Jewish kids from South Florida who were talking about their plans to spend some time in Israel in the upcoming year between high school and college. It was cute, but it also made me very sad thinking about all the 17-year-olds who were killed on that exact route and how they probably had plans and dreams and aspirations that never became achievable. The students also noted something that I had in mind, which was that there were plenty of homes and residential streets outside of Birkenau. As we got closer to the end of the march, there were a lot of houses nearby, they wondered out loud. They asked, how was it possible to have lived so close to the extermination camp during World War II and not have felt responsibility or tried to take action? I've asked myself that question many times as well. On the road to Birkenau, some Polish people came with a sign that said, Polish Friends of Israel, in solidarity with you. I appreciated that sign. I think it's important for individuals to show up and show their support. Others stood on their porches and waved. I'm talking about the people in the houses near Birkenau. They came out to the street. They came out on their porches and they smiled and waved at the marchers as they came by. The road between the two camps was desolate with what looked like empty factories and fields along the way until, of course, we got to that residential section that I mentioned. The roads over there were blocked by police and the local poles were waiting inside of their cars with their eyes peeled, waiting for the marchers to finish their procession. I wondered what they were thinking. Did they know what we were doing? Did they care what we were doing? Were we just infringing on their day? 
This year, the March of the Living organization commemorated 80 years since the Warsaw Ghetto Uprising. It was a month-long fight by Jews who organized themselves while in the ghetto of Warsaw in Poland. They were able to collectively push out German troops on two occasions. The Germans eventually came back and set fire to the buildings where the Jews were barricading themselves and then blew up the great synagogue of Warsaw. But the fighters wanted the world to know they were able to make a huge hit on the German army. In an effort to honor the heroic fighters of that revolt, Israeli tech startup DID used artificial intelligence to bring certain members of the fight back to life. Some of the rebels wrote down their stories in letters in order that the world should know they fought back. Those letters were recovered and DID used artificial intelligence to create animations for videos using still images of the fighters that were found. And get this, Israeli sound designers were able to use those letters as the script for an artificially generated voice that was paired with the moving image. Basically, it was an animation video at the end of the day. It was an animation video, but it was very compelling. Many said this year's event felt larger than any prior, especially with the COVID-19 pandemic having squashed so many people's plans to join in the last few years. Businessman Haim Taib lit the torch with his wife, Iris. Both were born from survivors. Taib said he was lighting in honor of his father, who was starved, beaten, and tortured in a Nazi labor camp in Tunisia. Other notables like New England Patriots, CEO and Genesis Prize recipient Robert Kraft, United States Ambassador to Israel Tom Nides, former U.S. Ambassador to Israel David Friedman, Minnesota Vikings President, another football team, and Jewish Agency Chair Mark Wilf and physician Miriam Adelson, whose philanthropy has made a large impact on the U.S. and Israel, all lit torches. The sixth person to light a torch was March of the Living Deputy Chair of the International March, Baruch Adler, who told a compelling story about his survivor parents. And the seventh was Ifat Ovadia Luski, the first woman ever to chair the Jewish National Fund. Like I said, Robert Kraft was one of the torchlighters, and he brought rapper Meek Mill with him for the journey. I want to share that I did not know or realize that Meek Mill was there. Okay, I am a rap fan, but I just didn't notice. A fan of mine from Instagram saw a photo I published on social media, got excited about it, reached out to me, and told me that I had photographed this famous rapper. I did not know. Well, to honor this rapper who came all the way from the U.S., I reached out to Meek Mill. I sent his team a note asking for a quote about his experience. I checked the internet. I'm the only source that actually got a quote from him. He's a huge rapper in the United States, and he's African-American. So to me, his support really speaks loudly since he's in a place to understand discrimination. So I appreciated his comment. He got back to us saying this. Participating in the March of the Living with my friend Robert Kraft and witnessing the horrors and injustices that took place to the Jewish people only 80 years ago gave me important insight that more people need to be urgently aware of. I look forward to bringing this awareness back to my own community so that we can make sure history does not repeat itself. I condemn all racism, so seeing this was a lifetime experience. Signed, Meek Mill. 
Mark Wilf is the chair of the Jewish Agency and the president of the Minnesota Vikings football team. His father was heavily involved in the March of the Living early on and was the first North American president and chair. Wilf spoke with us about the importance of making sure young people are educated about the history of the Holocaust. Let's hear from him. Here in Auschwitz, you see um, where hate, intolerance, bigotry, uh, words, uh, if they're if they go the wrong way, horrors can happen. And I think it's an important lesson and a hopeful thing that we have so many young people, thousands here, uh, to, to learn and go back to their communities, to their friends as they grow through life and understand that we have to be strong as a Jewish people. We have to be an Orla Goyim and make sure we're a light to the nations as far as making sure that we have free societies, tolerance, and uh, where intolerance can go, and to make sure the state of Israel remains strong as well. Former Ambassador David Friedman lit a torch at the ceremony. He had an idea ahead of the program, which was to show that anti-Semitism is bigger than politics. He reached out and asked current Ambassador Tom Nides to join him on stage for the lighting. I thought that um, I'd like to try to see if we could do something which was, uh, which made the point that anti-Semitism is bigger than politics, and so I approached my friend Tom Nides, who's uh, going to light a torch with me. And, uh, and I said to him, uh, you know, we have very different political views, but we can probably put our politics aside and, and agree that, you know, fighting anti-Semitism is, is really important. And doing it, you know, uh, not just in word, but indeed coming to Auschwitz, you know, a tough trip to come here, light a torch, uh, tour the camps. Uh, I think we can hopefully make the statement together that anti-Semitism is bigger than politics. And... Um, Tom, you know, uh, said yes immediately, um, and, and, and I think, you know, he and I together have the ability, I think, to really be much more uh, than either one of us on our own. You know, I'm a right-wing Republican, he's a left-wing Democrat. Together, I think we can show people that um, on, on issues that's important, fighting for the, the conti- you know, fighting the continued struggle of the Jewish people to survive, the state of Israel to survive, is a battle that we have to win together. Current ambassador from the United States to Israel, Tom Nides, came to Auschwitz for the first time. Looking around at all the people in blue jackets, Nides said the feeling was something that words could not express. I've never been here before. Um, Six million Jews died. I have an opportunity to represent the United States of America in a way that's an emotional time for all of us. And the most important thing is we can never forget. On the other side of the ocean lives Hannah Azulai, who joined the march with the Miami Jewish Federation. She came to it with urgency, as she believes at some point in the future, the camp will be closed to visitors. She also wanted to experience a trip to the grounds with the last generations of living Holocaust survivors. Um, it's been very emotional. It's a roller coaster of emotions. Um, my family are Sephardic, so I didn't really have anyone for that would experience the Holocaust. But I, so I wanted to come experience it with my friends and just be able to actually see it. And this is like one of the last generations that will be able to go with the survivors. And we have two survivors on our group in the Miami Jewish Federation. So I wanted to experience it with survivors as well. A lot of people make effort to act like the Holocaust wasn't real with anti-Semitic stuff. And like schools are stopping to teach about it. So I just think it's very important for me to be able to teach, keep it going for my kids and for the people in my family that weren't able to march with me. Holocaust survivor Rennie Friedman was born in Holland and was hidden in a Christian convent during the war. 
Her close connection to the non-Jewish community has fueled her activities of speaking in public schools about her story all throughout Canada. I go to some schools and speak to the kids, not only Jewish kids, but mixed. And it's very important. And from the non-Jewish kids, I get more feedback than the Jewish kids, which is, you know, actually in a way understandable because they might have family that, you know, told them stories, and, but not the Gentile children. And that, to me, is, is very important. Friedman's largest criticism of the March of the Living Organization after six years of participating as a survivor is that there is not enough inclusion. Another video highlighted an initiative called From Soul to Soul, in which the March of the Living promoted as a campaign to conserve children's shoes on display in Auschwitz that are at risk of fully deteriorating. Those who worked to keep them in good condition say they want to hold on to the spirit of the child who wore the shoes, and there's a campaign running in which people are working to save and salvage those shoes before they completely deteriorate. If you're not familiar, Auschwitz has a very large display of shoes of people from the Holocaust who were killed. It's very morbid, but it also gives you a, a deep understanding of just how many people were killed and how many shoes there were and items. If, you're, if you didn't know this, uh, Jewish hair was shaved off of people's heads. There's a big display of hair in Auschwitz as well. Jewish people's hair was shaved off and packaged and sold to factories where it was turned into carpets, blankets, you name it. The hair was sold for profit and it was used. Also, a lot of gold teeth were pulled out of the mouths of dead Jewish prisoners. I call them prisoners because that's what they were, but they were really victims. And the gold was also used for profit for the Nazis. The ceremony's most touching part was a duet with Holocaust survivor Shoshana Treister and singer Ivri Lieder. The two sang a song called Boi Mama, or Stay Mother, which is an English translation. It's a song of a child asking his mother to stay until he's grown. Tracer told me at an airport cafe after it was all over that she broke down after she exited the stage and that while she was singing it, she was feeling like a child again, longing for her mother. Everyone got pretty emotional for this. The event winded down with the mourners' Kaddish. It's a prayer for the dead. And Holocaust survivor and career speaker Arya Pinsker led the program. All in attendance stood by in unity as they responded, Amen, every time it was called. Shortly after this, Israel's national anthem, Hatikva, was sung with the Israeli flag lit up on the stage's display as the organizers brought Israel's impending 75th anniversary and independence into view. Independence Day is on the evening of Tuesday, April 25th. 
there are 147,199 survivors of the Holocaust living in Israel today. All right. Well, that is it for today's show. Today is Thursday, April 20th, 2023. Tel Aviv has a low of 15 degrees Celsius and a high of 22 degrees. That's 59 degrees Fahrenheit for the low, going up to 71 degrees for the high. Subscribe to the Israel Daily News podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you're hearing it from. We are everywhere. Don't forget to sign up to our Israel Weekly News Wrap. It's a newsletter with the top five stories coming out of Israel from throughout the week. I also usually add in a few personal anecdotes so you can get the inside scoop on what's going on in my personal life. And I always mention our professional highlights from the Israel Daily News podcast. Today's song is called Sibat Hasibot by Nicole Raviv and Elon Eckhart. I like this song. It's short and it's melodic. Enjoy it. Have a great and productive day and an excellent weekend. Shabbat Shalom, everyone. Hashemesh, and so fake